Thanks, uh, Liz, very much. A fantastic story that we'll get to uh, in just a moment. We're working our way through this series called Inside Out because Jesus seems to do that. He takes uh, what we think is the right way to live, to behave, and he turns it sometimes upside down or inside out. And every now and again, as we'll see from Peter, as we'll think about this morning, there are moments when we are challenged to think differently. Peter had to turn his thinking right around. And then when he did, the gospel spread in a new and different way. As we started this series, perhaps three, I don't know, five, six weeks ago, and uh, you can catch up all the detail at forward slash inside out on the website. Uh, at one point in the early days of the journey, uh, the Lord gave Barbara uh, a little picture. This, she's going to come and uh, share with us, uh, which I think is, is really helpful and picks up some of the themes that we're uh, talking about. And it's been a few Sundays and we haven't been around, so it's the first time Barbara and I could get together for her to share it here. Everyone. Well, the, the song that's been going through my mind and I've been singing all around the house this week has been God is working his purpose out. And, you know, whatever happens around, we really have to trust him. Well, a few weeks ago, um, after Simon's sermon on Inside Out, um, I was praying at the back of the church there and... Um, this picture of a, a jumper came and it was all unraveled. You know how a hand-knitted jumper goes? It's, it's sort of all crinkly and unraveled and, you know, it's sort of, well, you throw it away. Well, I said, Lord, why are you showing me this jumper? And I, I couldn't really understand. And then the Lord took me back to when I was a child and my, uh, during the war, and my grandmother used to get hand-knitted jumpers, and her and my aunt used to unpick them, and then they would wash them, sometimes dye them, hang them on the line, and then stretch them and knit them up into socks for uh, prisoners of war or uh, for soldiers. I thought, well, what are you trying to say, Lord, in this? And I think really what God is saying, um, he's, he's changing his church. And, you know, the things that were before, like the jumper, was a good and perfect jumper, but he's changing things now. And uh, if we really trust him and, and call on his Holy Spirit, um, he, he will show us new ways and... Uh, um, I'm sure that's what he's doing here in Burlington. You know, sometimes it's it's happening fast and, and we can't always take it in. But, you know, he, he loves us and he wants the very best for us. And um, I, I think that uh, something else God spoke to me about, it was a sermon I heard years and years ago and it comes from Ezekiel and I've never forgotten it. And it's about the river of life and how it flowed under the temple door. And um, there were places where you could 
go in and you could, it would come up to your ankles, then it would come up to your knees, and then it was up to your waist, and so that you had to swim. And, you know, we can, we can do this. I would just love to swim in that river of life. And I know I've, I've not, you know, really had all the faith to, to be able to do that. Um, but, you know, God leads us gently. And, uh, you know, we can paddle. We can go in a bit deeper with him. Um, and praise God. He, he loves us so much. And, and he will, uh, he will see us through if only we trust him. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much. It's not always see a jumper that begins to unravel and all the anxiety that that creates. And it does. That's, uh, that was the jumper. That uh, I hate it when one of my jumpers starts to unravel because that's kind of the beginning of the end. But with Jesus, maybe it's only the beginning of something brand new. And we're thinking all the way through this series of how sometimes things unravel in order that they can be remade. Sometimes things unravel in order that in God's agenda they can be remade. But, but in the midst of that, what makes that possible, what creates that, is a commitment from us that Peter had to face, and Paul the Apostle had to face, and all the other disciples had to face. It was, if you like, the bottom line. And the bottom line is, Jesus is Lord. And Peter thought that he knew all the ways about the kingdom. And because he thought he knew all the ways about the kingdom, he was convinced that God was only interested in the Jews. And he had it all worked out in a little box as the way he thought it should be. And then the Spirit begins to show him something that was very non-Jewish. And he begins to panic he begins to see his understanding unravel, and he had two choices. He could have resisted and stayed in his house, or he could have gone with the Spirit, and something amazing happened. We see the conversion of Cornelius and his household, and so on, and the gospel begins to spread in a much faster way. That There's a bottom line that we all need to face, and it's around the Lordship of Jesus. There's a, a, a verse that I've been coming back to, uh, again and again. And it's, um, in a sense, such a familiar verse. And in a sense, we've preached on it uh, so many times. And um, I just want us to think about it a little bit differently, just for a few moments. And then Julie's going to come and share a little bit about what the implications of that might be for us in different aspects of our lives. The verse is this, come, follow me. We, we know it really well. There's nothing new about it. Uh, and I've spent a lot of my time thinking about that word, what does it mean to come, and what does it mean to, to, to follow, what does it mean to follow Jesus. Uh, but what I, I've, I've sensed in my spirit, I've been drawn to in recent days, is to think about that word me. Who is the person that's calling us to follow? When Peter heard the Spirit speak to him through that vision, he had a choice. Is he going to respond to Jesus the Lord and Master, or is he going to simply reinforce his, his own, in his case, prejudice, his own way of doing things? 
So it strikes me that the person who's asking us to follow, the person that's asking us to live this missional life, that it's really important that we understand who he is if we're going to be faithful in following. And it was like a a curtain that was unveiled for me, reading again Matthew's Gospel, to see how the, the writer sets up in three chapters to get ready for this verse in chapter four. And Matthew paints this picture of who Jesus is, so that when you get to the point in the story that Jesus says, come follow me, it has this massive set of implications attached to it, because your mind is full of who this Jesus is. You might like to have Matthew's gospel open in front of you, but in five minutes, we're going to cover three chapters and and just help us understand the way this ginormous picture of who Jesus is, is being painted for us. Are you ready? (laughs) Are you ready? Yes. Okie doke. Jesus is, Matthew 1, verse 1, Jesus is the Savior. That's what Jesus means, the one who shall save. Jesus is the Messiah, the one that's been appointed and awaited for down through the generations. That's what Christ means. It's not a a surname, it's a title. Jesus is the son of David. In other words, Jesus is the king who will fulfill the promise made to King David that his kingdom will reign forever. Jesus is the son of Abraham who will fulfill the promise to Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus is the center of history. The whole of the Old Testament, summed up in that genealogy, those next set of verses, remind us that Jesus is the center of everything. You are not the center of the world. Neither am I, neither are the politicians, neither are our global leaders, neither are any empires or nations which will rise and fall. Jesus alone is the center of history. Hallelujah, indeed. Jesus is fully divine, born of a virgin. Jesus is fully human. She gave birth to a son, a baby boy, fully human. That's chapter one. Chapter two, he's sovereign over the wise. Even the wise men will come and bow down and worship him. As the prophecy of old says in verse six, he will shepherd the people of Israel. He is also, number 10, the new Exodus, verse 15. Exodus was such an important part of the Old Testament, how God delivered uh, the people out of Egypt. Jesus coming out of Egypt is a reminder that Jesus will bring a greater deliverance than the one that the Israelites have celebrated all this time. He will reign over evil, picking up a prophecy from the Old Testament, verse 18. He loves his enemies. He will go back to those who ultimately will kill him, returning to Nazareth where he would grow up after Herod died, verse 19. He is the saviour king. We're in chapter 3 now, verse 3. He is the one of which the prophet Isaiah spoke, one who's coming, who will make the way for salvation possible. He's the righteous judge. He's got a winnowing fork in his hand. 15, he is full of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. 
verse uh, number 16. Picture 16, he's loved by God the Father at his baptism. Number 17, he's the new Adam, thinking about the temptations where Adam uh, failed, Jesus would succeed. He is the true Israel, picking up the Old Testament prophecies of where the Messiah would come from and how those things would be fulfilled. He is the light of the world, verse 16 now of chapter 4, and then verse 15 of chapter 4, he is the hope of all nations. Galilee, he goes to preach, of the Gentiles. And so by the time you get to the very next verse, verse 18, and this picture of Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee, you've had this massive picture of who Jesus is. So the writer uh, is, is evoking in his first readers, who will know all of those Old Testament prophecies, know all those nuances, be familiar with all the wig, winks and the nods that I've just glossed over very quickly. The, the reader is thinking, this Jesus is massive. And he's walking along and he's coming up to two fishermen. Do you feel the weight and the wonder of who Jesus is? Because that's what Matthew is trying to help his readers understand. This is not just any rabbi. This is the Jesus, the long-awaited, the Lord's anointed, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the Jesus. He's everything. He's above all. He's the center of all. He's the ruler of all, the hope of all, the savior of all. And he's the judge of all. Do we realize who he is? is. Would you agree that that Jesus is worthy of our total abandonment? That Jesus is worthy of everything that we are. When we come face to face with that Jesus, it turns our world upside down and inside out. Surely we cannot come face to face with that Jesus and still live the same kind of way. Following this Jesus involves absolutely everything. Following means everything. They left. Everything got submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. If our Christian life is doing enough to soothe our conscience, but not too much to rock the boat. If our Christian life is doing enough to soothe our... Oh, I feel guilty if I don't go to church. If it's doing enough to soothe our conscience, but not enough to rock the boat, i.e. we live by and large just like everybody else. The saddest statistic is that Christians statistically live no different from anybody else in our culture. How sad is that? If our Christianity is at a level where it soothes our conscience, but it's not enough to rock the boat of our lives, you've got to wonder whether we've met him. You've got to wonder whether we've met him. And that's that verse that I glossed over on the screen a moment ago. Jesus said many will act like they've met him when really they didn't meet him at all. If Jesus calls us, that Jesus calls us to follow him with everything, then it will affect every aspect of our lives.
And one of the reasons the church spread so rapidly in the early church was that they'd understood that Jesus changes everything. It wasn't the same life with a few extra meetings on a Sunday or at different times in the week. It was actually a changed life. And very briefly this morning, there are just three areas that we want to invite all of us to think about in terms of that challenge that Jesus brings to a changed life. You see, missional living challenges our possessions. And we'll see all of these caught up in those early chapters of, uh, of Acts where, where the writer Luke is describing the early church and how living for Jesus changed everything. A missional life impacts our possessions. Julie's going to come and share a little bit about what that might mean for us in our day-to-day living. Oh, Simon's just said that uh, Jesus, that Jesus challenges us to uh, live a different life. I'm, I'm a bit nervous standing here talking about this, to be honest. Um, uh, I've got to talk about giving everything to Jesus. <laughs> if I was to summarise Western culture in one word, it would be this word consumerism. So at the heart of consumerism is this idea that life is all about me, about my possessions, about my needs, my happiness, my comfort, my car, my house, my things, because I'm worth it. We kind of gather stuff, don't we, Um, Because we've been indoctrinated by our culture that says that we need that new thing, that next thing, the latest thing, the shiny thing, the bigger thing. And those things that are a bit old or not quite up to the mark or a bit scuffed are discarded, aren't they? You only had to walk around um, the streets around where I live a few weeks ago when we hold our annual neighbourhood sale. And you would see the amount of stuff that is uh, on the front of people's gardens that they're selling, stuff that they've had in their loft and had no use for. Um, Now, we do that every year. And I was amazed by the amount of stuff that we had hoarded in our loft. And so we sold our stuff at the neighbourhood sale and we raised £200. Now the thing is, we do this every single year. Where is this stuff coming from? I want, don't I, I want a bigger car or a better home or a shinier kitchen. So... I've been in danger of working those long hours in order to fund those kind of things. Uh, Ecclesiastes says that this is worthless, that whoever loves money never has money enough. And that's true, isn't it? Now, I'm going to be really honest here. Um, I'm struggling with this, and I'm guilty We've just spent a lot of money extending our home. We've got a shiny, nice new kitchen. And just this month, we've bought a bigger car so that we can pull our more up-to-date caravan. So I'm standing here telling you that I'm really guilty about this. And um, it shows us, doesn't it, that consumerism isn't just outside there. It's in here. Well, actually, it's in here. It's in my heart. And it actually pervades a lot of how I think and what I do and how I order my life. 
And, and that consumerism can stop me from being the person that God wants me to be. It can stop me abandoning everything for Jesus. And I found myself worrying a bit about what people think of me and my stuff, you know, about my home and all of that kind of thing, and worrying more about what people think about me than about what God thinks about me. Um, if I'm honest, um, I sometimes find myself justifying the fact that I don't live in a bigger house to my colleagues who all live in huge houses in the country, um, that I live in a relatively small to them house. Uh, I could afford it if I wanted to buy it, but actually, no. Um, and I'm kind of justifying myself, and I'm worrying actually about what they think of me. I found myself kind of busy trying to make money so that I can get stuff. And that's kind of gotten in the way sometimes of making relationships with people. Uh, and, and there's this sense, isn't there, that sometimes, I don't know about other parents who at the school gates who might be worrying about how they compare to the other parents standing at the school gates. My kids go to a school where... Their peers have things like miniature railways in their gardens. And, I mean, it's just unbelievable, some of these things. And I find myself thinking, oh, that's not fair. Hmm, maybe it is. There have been times when I've been too busy shopping, too busy mowing the lawn, too busy working on the project that I've got in the house to actually get to know anybody. I find myself isolated in my castle, you know, my home's my castle thing, to actually get to know my neighbours, and that's the honest truth. Some of us might feel maybe that we're not good enough and that what we have isn't good enough because of this idea that we have to have the latest thing, so we hide away. And if I live like that. How on earth can I fulfill the Great Commission? How can I make disciples? Because the enemy's really keen on keeping us busy and occupied and our hands tied up, worrying about those things rather than about making relationships with people. Because, uh, let you into a secret here, discipleship is about relationships with people. Now, I've tried the whole let's buy a discipling course off the shelf kind of approach so that we can consume it. But actually, that doesn't work either, because discipleship is about life-on-life stuff, and that's much more important. So, the kingdom of God isn't a consumer kingdom, is it? And that Jesus that we are hearing about demands our all. The kingdom of God is about serving the other and not about serving me. It's about community rather than isolation of the individual and it's about love isn't it not about covetousness and it's about the beauty of each individual person no matter who they are or what they have they're a child of God and and as I've been reflecting on this uh, honestly in the recent weeks um, actually makes me feel a little bit depressed to be honest I feel a bit like What's our culture like? But more than that, it makes me feel about what, what's my heart like? And I start to feel a bit guilty. And, and I realise that I'm really struggling with this, making Jesus the Lord of my possessions, if I'm really honest. So maybe the first thing for me is to notice the thing, to notice 
the consumerism in me and to name it and to shame it. How do I feel when my neighbour gets a bigger car than me? How do I feel about that dress that somebody's got? How do I feel when somebody gets that new iPad or the iPhone? Last week, Simon, myself, Scott and Connor went to the Alive Festival. Um, We were doing a seminar on missional communities and we were sharing the teaching together. And um, we'd been doing our bit and um, Scott stood up. Now, Scott stood up with his lovely iPad and started kind of walking across, you know, back and forth like this, um, didn't he? Uh, you know, all relaxed with his iPad flicking through his notes. And um, Simon turned to me and said, oh, look at Scott with his iPad. That's a bit annoying, isn't it? Because we've been, you know, we've got bits of scrappy paper. Uh, and um, now Simon was kind of joking, Kind of joking, I think. I hope. Um, but what it made me think... You were joking. What it made me think about was, ah, do you know what? Hmm, that isn't fair. Why has Scott got an iPad and I haven't? I deserve one of those. I could use that. That would be really useful. I could get one of those. I could probably afford to buy one. Why don't I get one? I need an iPad. I think, I don't know about you, I need to recognise in me that that welling up of consumerism that isn't healthy. I've got nothing against iPads, and if anybody wants to give me one, that would be fine. (laughs) Or lend me one. But, you know, it's that attitude in me that's welling up. Well, I need, I deserve that. So I need to recognise that in me, and I've got to name it and shame it. I've I've got to repent of that in order to make Jesus Lord. Take these things seriously. Um, There have been times when I've caught myself as well, sitting there thinking, well, I'm not that bad. I tithe. I give to other charities when God prompts me. You know, actually, I'm not that bad. Um, But we've been hearing that Jesus demands total abandonment of everything. Everything we have is his, He doesn't just want 10%. That's good. But he wants everything. So, how can I, how can I change the way I live in view of who Jesus is? I think the Lord is asking me to prioritize relationships and not things. I mean, who cares if my house isn't as big as some other people's? And who cares if it's a bit, you know, untidy sometimes, then maybe I should be inviting my friends around. Maybe I should be becoming more generous with the stuff that I have. Maybe I should be able to lend stuff and not expect it back. Maybe I should be able to hold things a bit more lightly because they all belong to Jesus, don't they? And I'm, I'm trying to work out this in my life. I'm trying to work out what if I was to buy something, you know, like that caravan I just mentioned? And, and how do I work out, you know, do I decide, I think, what's the most I can spend? What's the nicest caravan I can get? Or do I think, what do I need? What would do? And what could I do with the extra money that's saved in another way? What does Jesus want me to do with that instead? 
And how does he want me to use that, what I have, that caravan, for him as well, of course? How about those of you around me who are you know, members of my extended church family? What about those of you that are in need? Um, is Jesus asking us to share more together? What about sharing our resources more? So if somebody has got an iPad that they would like to lend me, then you could share it with me. And I'm not looking at anybody in particular at this moment. (laughs) What if, why do I find it so hard to borrow stuff off people? What is that about? Let's start sharing some stuff, shall we? Um, I don't, you know, don't explain to organize that, but what I'm saying is, in our missional communities, how about sharing stuff? Let's try to make that normal. And I mean, let's start sharing more than just prayers or words, which are great, but what about sharing things and money? What about that as well? Why can't we make that normal? Now, recently in Huddle, um, we were talking about this idea of sharing resources. I've obviously been thinking about this quite a bit. And, uh, We were talking about how if you're living as an extended family, how does that become reality? How do you feel like that's real? How does that work out? And what about the fact, you know, we could share resources? Now, Connor was intrigued by this, and um, he hadn't really thought about it before. And Connor being Connor, he, he decided, he'd heard it, he thought about it, he was going to do something about it. So he actually set himself a challenge. And the challenge was that that evening he was going to be meeting with uh, lots of members from Feet for the Street, which they do once a fortnight. And he challenged himself to borrow something off uh, Liam and Becky without them knowing what he was doing. <laughs> so the funny thing was, he, he no explanation, he, he said, he went to them and said, can I borrow a tin opener? No explanation. Uh, to see what would happen. Later that evening, I got a text from Connor, which had a picture on it, and I can't share the picture with you, but I can share the thing. Thank you. My visual aid. He sent me a picture of this tin opener, and underneath the tin opener, the caption said, <laughs> they're laughing their heads over there, the caption said, they said I could keep it. <laughs> And he still had it, and he gave it to me this morning. And he's going to have it back in a minute. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I mean, I laughed a lot when I received that text, for lots of reasons. But Becky and Liam had open-heartedly said, yeah, you've asked me for something, I'll give it to you. No strings attached, you can even keep it if you like. That's brilliant. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Of course, that tin opener is quite a small thing, isn't it? But sharing resources, possessions, and money builds relationship, even if it's a small thing we start with, but it's that attitude, isn't it, that that's important, that we're open-hearted enough to do that. So what I'm really struggling to learn is that um, it's all Jesus is anyway, and this is the Jesus that... Simon was talking about earlier, and if he gave me all of that, how can I hold on to the things that he's given me? Maybe he wants me to use the things that he's given me to bless others. Thanks, uh, Julie, very much. We're we're going to share communion uh, as a response to what we've just been uh, hearing. There's this amazing verse in the New Testament that says that Jesus, although he was rich, 
for our sakes became poor, so that out of that poverty we might become rich. Just since God is tugging at our hearts this morning about the things that we would hold on to. And if we hold on to stuff, it stops us holding on to Him. If we want to live for Jesus, we have to follow the example of the one who let go of everything for our sakes. And so we're going to be quiet for a moment. And I'm going to invite you to search your hearts. And in the quietness of the moment as we're searching our hearts, the servers are going to come and we're going to serve the bread. And in that quietness in your own space... You can eat the bread when you're ready, remembering that the bread is a sign of a a life given, of a body broken, poured out, letting go. And as we receive the bread into our lives, it's a decision to let go of the things that we would cling to as if they are our salvation. In our heads, we know they're not, but in our hearts, We can live as though those things are. Where is Jesus tugging at your heart? Let's be quiet as the servers come forward and serve the bread.